The views you're about to hear on the Dr. Plus podcast are those of the individual participants and not their employers, any other organization, or the American College of Physicians. So let's get to it. Welcome to Dr. Plus, the podcast where we explore the hobbies, activities, and adventures outside of medicine that make our friends and colleagues truly amazing. I'm Saganish, an academic internal medicine and public health doctor practicing in St. Paul. And I'm David, an internal medicine doctor practicing hospital and clinical medicine in downtown Minneapolis. We recognize our colleagues for their clinical work, research, or incredible academic achievements, but we often don't get to hear about the other sides of their lives, their pluses. Here on this podcast, we get to spend a few minutes getting to know each other in a new way. Welcome to this episode of Dr. Plus. Today, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome a colleague of mine, Dr. Ann Isaacson. Ann works with me here in downtown Minneapolis, and she is our guest today to talk about her plus. Ann, thanks for being on the show. Oh, yeah. Happy to be here. So first of all, before we get into your plus, tell us about your day job. What do you do? I'm a hospitalist at Henfield County Medical Center in Minneapolis. So internal medicine trained, but just working in the inpatient setting. Uh, taking care of patients in the hospital. Where did you do your training and how did you end up in Minneapolis? Um, I'm from Minneapolis originally. Um, I went to med school at the University of Minnesota and then did residency at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and then ended up coming back to Minneapolis after residency and have uh, been at HCMC ever since. So I think there's a connection with North Carolina in your plus. What do you do there? I have a couple horses down there. I started riding when I was a kid. And then when I was in residency, I I would go take riding lessons while I was in North Carolina, just kind of for stress relief. And it's just so, I don't know, it's horse country down there a little more than in Minnesota. And so I've been fortunate enough to be able to continue to have this kind of double life where I have my work life in Minnesota and then my horse life and competition down there in North Carolina. So, Anne, that sounds like every girl's dream, if I may, getting to ride horses in the mountains of North Carolina. So can you take us back? How did that happen? How did you start riding horses when you were a kid? It kind of just started as like, you know, you took piano lessons, I took swimming lessons. I had a friend in third grade that was going to go take riding lessons. And I'd done like, gone to like trail riding places and I always had fun and I loved animals. And so, so I just started riding kind of as one thing and it's, the only one of the lessons that stuck, you know, the piano's long gone. <laughs> All that. You said it's calming, you know, so here's the deal. I'm terrified of the things they kick you and they bite you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a completely different part of your brain. I think that you're using. So, I, I mean, you have to pay attention and it's very like engaging, but in a different way than medicine, you know, that it's just, you're much I don't, kind of like in the moment. It's not, talking to people, it's much more just like I said, in the moment. We're going to get more into the competition because you're not just riding around in the countryside. You are in a specific competitive field and you win. I mean, like you've got like ribbons that are four feet long, you know, on your bulletin board in the hospital. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but tell us about your horses specifically, because you talk about your horses as members of like, like family members. I mean, horses all have personalities, just like people. And I've been really fortunate to have some really good special horses in my life. So 
my current horse that I'm showing is named, is, uh, we call him Frankie. Full, they all of them have a longer registered name. Uh, so his name is Surprised by Blue, but he goes by Cranky with his friends. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, they're just such amazing athletes, you know, like with Frankie, it's taken a little while for us to get together as a team. I bought him when he was three, which is pretty young. Um, he'd never been shown in, they're with a trainer in North Carolina. So my trainer's name is Matt Leitner and he's done a ton of work with the horse. So he showed Frankie last year and then I taken over the reins this year to start showing. And it's like I said, it's been hard. Like I have to work really hard to be able to show it, but it's been so rewarding because it's just like, they like said, they're such athletes. And so when you get together to feel that connection, you know, when you're showing and like knowing you have this, you know, really powerful animal that listens to you and trusts you and you can work together as a team is just super, super cool. And then I have a second horse there. Her name's Sis. <laughs> S-I-S. <laughs> it's a good Southern nickname. <laughs> I love that. This is one you've had a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've had her for 12 years. And she was sort of the first show horse I had in North Carolina. Um, and then she's retired now. So I still ride at home and stuff. But most of the time she's out in a pasture with her friends and oh. <laughs> prefers to stay outside. And it's got this little feral. <laughs> um but still, you know, I, I go hang out with her and brush her and she likes that kind of stuff. A girl that's a carrots and stuff. She's living the retired life and doing well. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was this the horse that you bought that ended up being pregnant and you didn't know it? And if that, if oh that's so, how in the yes. heck does that happen? Yes. Very Jerry Springer. <laughs> but yes, that did happen. To my credit, we... Figured it out before before her baby was born. One month before. We're like, huh, she's kind of getting a belly. <laughs> no, That's okay. so funny. You're, like, <laughs> you're body shaming your horse. You really do your homework when you make a major purchase. I know. Well, you expect someone to tell you that or no. <laughs> but like there was this farm that was closing and like they were just trying to sell a lot of the horses. And so I... I don't know anyone that that's happened to. <laughs> so I never thought to ask or to request a pregnancy test as part of your pre-purchase exam. <laughs> like, <laughs> but next time, <laughs> now I know. But it turned out okay. It, it did. turned out okay. I mean, what do you do with a, what do you do with, what's a baby horse called? What do you, what do you do the with foal. a baby horse? Yeah. Foal. Foal or as a boy, so as a colt. He, um, his name is Tucker. Um, yeah, I mean, that was the thing is at the beginning, because it's expensive. Now I have two horses. So, but then it's like, people pay for that. You know, so I'm like, is this, did I win? Did they win? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I had Tucker till he was six years old. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and he was, it was fun. I mean, it was fun to watch him grow up and <laughs> have a little baby horse to play with. And like him and sis were very cute together. That was a whole experience I, again, never imagined ever happened. <laughs> Um, I showed him for a little while, um, you know, we, so just going through learning how to train like a very young horse from learning how to lead and getting him used to everything being brushed, getting his hair clipped, getting shoes, all of that. So that was very fun. But yeah, so we showed for a while and then he was better. He liked to jump like hunter jumper stuff, which I just don't do. 
Um, and so I ended a lady who's in South Carolina ended up buying him to do more of that kind of thing. Because again, it's like that was his strength. Like he didn't like showing the kind of showing that I do. And so it was a six year saga, <laughs> but, but it was the overall, yeah, good experience. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, TLC again. has nothing on you. TLC has <laughs> oh, nothing right. on you. Right. That was, was when the trainer called, because it was a trainer who figured it out and called it. I was like, that was, I was at work at the time and she's like, are you sitting down? <laughs> I don't know how to say this. I think your horse is pregnant. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> how? I can explain the how. I'm good on the how. I know. <laughs> I did go to medical school. Okay. So now I'm really curious, you know, I can imagine what it's like to try to understand or try to get to know this completely other being because they're not human in any way that's, you know, relatable. So tell us, how does that work? How do you like, how do you find a horse? How do you get to know them? And how do you, it's a long distance relationship. So how does that work as well? I mean, I went with a, my trainer and we, I mean, I think I looked at 15 horses before we bought Frankie. I mean, you go watch, watch the trainer ride him. You see, you're kind of looking at, I want to compete. So I'm looking for a horse that's going to be, looks like they're, will be our good athlete, you know, but then also just that they're a show horse. You want them to like their job. With Frankie, what was really cool was like, you know, he didn't, you could tell he didn't know much or he just hadn't gotten very far in his training, but he, so horses, when they're, they're happy or they'll have their ears up and they have a certain expression in their face. And like he was just like doing his thing, <laughs> like, you know, seemed to love to to work. And that was one of the things I really liked about him. The most grumpy he gets is when you stop and like he has to wait. He doesn't he's not very patient. But if you let him go and do his job, he he loves every minute of it. And that's really fun. How do you know if a horse is grumpy? They put their ears back. They like might kick or just be fussy that's the best way i would describe it is kind of there you can tell on their expression even though it's just their eyes and their ears <laughs> uh, but then they just are a little more restless and whereas a horse that's happy is usually more kind of like ears forward they they just have a calmer kind of demeanor and you can and that's what you kind of feel when you're riding i mean that's what makes it so kind of cool is you're having this constant conversation with them the whole time you're riding without words. It's just what you're feeling through your legs and body and then through your hands with a bridle, you know? And so a horse that's happy is gonna usually be lighter on your hands, but just like right there, you know, not pulling on you, not trying to, you know, you're not feeling a lot of tension in the bridle or in their body. They're just, you can just feel them like using their muscles and like working, but not tension, not resisting or fighting anything. This idea of using your, you as the writer, having to use not just your brain, but your whole embodied part of you to understand what's happening with the animal and then to navigate the space is really interesting because we talk a lot about embodiment in medicine. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that or if that resonates with sort of the work that we talk about or about embodied medicine. Yeah, I, with the horses, you know, it's all, like I said, it's all a lot of like nonverbal cues. I feel like that's something I'm really sensitive to in, in medicine as well, of like walking into the room and that energy and that feeling. Um, I sometimes feel like I get more out of that than what people say <laughs> sometimes or just like that exactly. level. Yeah. 
I, I think working with horses for so much of my life has made me so much more sensitive to that. Yeah, like that being able to sense what's happening in the space before anyone has even had a chance uh-huh. to speak. Uh-huh. You got that from working with horses. For better or worse, because sometimes it's like, you know, that what feeling when you walk into a room and it's just the tension is like, I feel like sometimes I just like hit a wall because I like walk into that and I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but like, wow. <laughs> so. You have a connection with animals, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's always something I've had or and something I just enjoy is being around them. And like I said, it's just a different, a different part of your brain. And like a, it just in some ways, you know, communicating or working with animals, it, it's there's not all the uh, extra layers of things, you know, it just it seems almost a little more straightforward in a lot of ways. They don't care if you did your documentation. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not, a, that's not a thing that's ever been Aren't issue. you her boss now, David? Like, should you be? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Speaking of. <laughs> I know. So pivot to what kind of competition you do. What do you do? The type of horse that I have always had are American Saddlebreds, um, which is uh, an American breed that started in Kentucky. Um, and mostly is used to show in what's called saddle seat is the the style of riding that we do. It's English riding, but you don't jump. I always call the saddlebreds like the sports cars of the horse world. The breed originally developed to be like the fancy riding horses for people in the 1800s, uh, mostly in the South. You know, be the horse that you you took to church or you took to a fancier outing. <laughs> Our competitions like started as like what would have been the county fairs, you know, that people would take their nice horse to the county fair and like they'd all be in a ring. So so for us, we all go in a ring together in your division and then you're doing multiple different gates. So most horses can do, you know, a walk, trot, canter. Frankie um, and saddlebreds in general can some of them can do two extra gates, which is what made them the fancy horses. It's called a slow gate and a rack. And so those are smooth gates, but you can go pretty fast. Um, and so they're really comfortable to ride. In our shows, they have they do all their gates and the judge picks out the one that does what they think is the best and looks pretty doing it <laughs> um, and then ties the class um, based on that. Are they judging you or are they judging Frankie? They're judging frankly, mostly, you know, so you don't want to get in your horse's way. You want to help them either best, but like they're they, ultimately they're judging the horse. And are they bred for the different kinds of trotting or is that trained? Like as do you as a rider train them like now we're going to go slow. Now we're going to canter. How does that communication happen? Originally, all saddlebreds could do both a trot and a, and a rack or a slow gait. Now it's only certain ones that end up being able to do all five gates just because it takes a lot of coordination and strength to be able to do it well. When a horse trots, it's like the diagonal legs move together. And then for a rack or a slow gate, two legs on the same side kind of move together. So it's a lateral gate. And so to be coordinated enough to be able to switch gears and do that is is hard. So a horse has to have the natural ability and then what takes a while is to teach them cues so you can get the gate you want at the right time. Like I ask for all the different gates with a slightly different cue using my leg and my body weight and my hands. That was part of what took a while for Freaky to understand. 
Uh, especially even changing from a trainer to me, because my trainer is six five, you know. <laughs> and so to understand, like when I tried to ask the same thing, it meant what the trainer meant, you know. Like that took a while for him to understand. But that's, I mean, it's so cool to watch that process, so that now he understands. Like if I if I sit back and kind of raise raise his head up a little bit more, that means I want him to rack. If I let him stretch his head down a little bit more and ask him to go forward, that's a cue to ask him to trot. But it's so subtle. Um, and so that's why you have to be so connected for them, you know, that it almost feels like they're reading your thoughts a little bit, like it's that strong of a connection. Are the cues the same for every rider? And is it the same for every horse? Like, is it transferable or is there really like this bonding that it really matters who is riding which horse and for them to perform at their best? Yeah, it's a little of both. The cues generally are the same. So that's like, I mean, when I go to the stables, I, I ride my horses, but then I also ride like lesson horses there kind of to practice in between. Um, and, you know, the way you ask for everything is is the same. For a canter, you balance them a little more to one side versus a trot, you have them be going straight ahead. But as a rider, you have to feel like how how strongly to give that cue. And that changes from your horse. And so like the basic cues are generally the same. It, it What takes time to develop is that just the polish, you know, to know how much your horse needs or to help them, you know, balance and be their best and take a little more time. And I happen to know that you rode a previous horse to some championships. Yeah. Tell us about your, your foray into the... I want to say the fashion world because I happen to know oh. the name of your previous horse. <laughs> Tell us about Tom Ford. Tom Ford was like made all of my dreams come true. I um now I need to hear about Tom Ford. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't really own horses as a kid. I rode lesson horses and just have been waiting and waiting for that time to get like that I was had a paycheck that I could get my own fancy horse. And so Tommy was well, we, his nickname, but his registered name was I Rock Tom Ford. <laughs> his dad is named Designed. So a lot of his sons and daughters are named after designers or design-related show names. But um, yeah, he's the, really the first one, first horse I've been able to compete at like a national level with. That was incredible. He, when you talk about a horse, just like reading your thoughts, like that's, that's Tommy, you know, and I get all like, a little emotional. <laughs> so we competed in the North Carolina circuit to start with, and then just kind of got our, our circle of competition started to get a little bigger. And he was, so he's the first horse I have ever showed at our world championship horse show, which is in Louisville, Kentucky. And I mean, I, like I said, I've been riding when, since I was eight. And so like, you know, they have this like first time exhibitor ribbon presentation and it's like, a bunch of kids, <laughs> probably three <And> people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think I was like 42 <laughs> or 43 <laughs> with my little first time ribbon. But um, the first year we made a, a few mistakes. And so I didn't end up getting a ribbon at that first trip there. And then COVID happened. But then the second year that I went back, I just had like the class of a lifetime. You know, you like I said, you all go in the ring together because of the world championship, there's all this extra stuff. So they have like dyed the shavings in the ring green. So it's like bright green shavings. 
you know, it's you're in Louisville, Kentucky in August. So it's like 90 degrees with 90% humidity. But inside the arena, it's like 60 degrees and air conditioned. It's like crazy cold. You know, you're coming in down the ramp in this blast of cold air and it goes from like black and white outside to bright color, you know, with the green shavings and everything. That class was like an out-of-body experience um, that just everything went perfectly. And Tommy just put on like the horse show of a lifetime. So we ended up coming out of a class of like, uh, I want to say like 16 or 18 horses and we were a reserve world champion in our division. That's amazing. Literally the world champion in that division. I know. Yeah. Never, ever. That was not even on the bucket list. Could you tell in that moment that it was going really well where you're like, we are killing it. Like we know we're (laughs) killing it. (laughs) Yes and no, you got it. I've also gotten into trouble (laughs) thinking that because you have to be so focused. So you have these moments where you're like, I think this is really good, but keep riding. So it's not really until the lineup and the judges' cards are turned in. So there's mm-hmm. three judges for that class. So you all line up in a row and then wait for the results. And so we're in the lineup and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that was really good. <laughs> I think that was really good. I don't know. But because you're, you're in with the best in the world. So like, yeah, I could have been really good, but so could have everyone else, you know? And so when they announced our name, you know, and it's up on the jumbotron in the in the arena. I can't even. But <laughs> that's incredible. You're still beaming. You're like, this is amazing. I have <laughs> to tell you about this thing. Yeah. I want to get back um, to a little bit about how it informs your life as a doctor. But before I do, why North Carolina? You live and work in Minneapolis. What about the Minnesota circuit? I know. <laughs> Is there a Minnesota circuit? There is. There's a Minnesota State Fair. Like every, I live by the State Fair and every other day there's a horse competition. I just go in there for the air conditioning. I'm not sure Minnesota's a place for equestrian events. I don't know, but they have air conditioning. They do. Like pro tip, pro tip, if you're ever hot at the State Fair, just go watch a horse. Yes, that is true. That is true. Like you said, I grew up showing here. The shows have gotten a little smaller and- for right now, like they like said, being able to show at the world championships with Tommy was incredible. And it's just a little, a lot of the big shows are further south and it's easier for me to travel than to have my horse travel. That's a lot of why I do it. I mean, honestly, the Minnesota State Fair doesn't, they got rid of their saddle red classes now. So it's just not a, it's not a scene here. It's not the same level of competition. I, yeah. I mean, and it's just, it's easier down there. It's just in terms of being able, like, being able to ride here in the winter, even in an indoor ring, it's it's still really cold and the ground freezes and like there the horses can go outside and it's it just it's easier in a lot of ways. I want to ask one question because, you know, you talk about almost like a dream deferred, right? You've been riding and been around horses since you were eight years old, but you don't really start competitively doing it until you're in your later. I'm just going to say later. <laughs> I won't even age you out. Right. Yeah. Like that feels like, wow, there must have been something there to sustain you to like to say, I want to do this thing and I won't get a chance to do it until I'm much. It's just an observation I'm making. It took a long time. Why? I kept staying involved in riding and like I leased a horse. I, I mean, I had amazing people in my life that let me show horses for them. But to be able to to own my own horse and, and do it to the level that I dreamed of and wanted to took a long time like I love being around the horses and so I I think that's really helped in a lot of ways to just I just kept riding but like I said to to be able to do to this level it's taken a long time and can I ask you about how 
your writing affects your life as a doctor. Um, I happen to know, and I can state for a fact, um, that Anne's an outstanding doctor. If you're sick in the hospital, you want Dr. Isaacson. You really do. I can say that with a straight face. But how does your passion for horses and riding and this lifelong pursuit of yours, how does that fit into your life as a doctor and how does it help your own well-being, if you will? Oh, it's like a, it's essential <laughs> to my well-being. I mean, for me, that it's been it's amazing that the hospital schedule exists. A lot of people find it or worry about being burned out with the shifts and the night shifts and all of that. But for me, my working style has always been: I'll go be really intense about something for a bit, and then I need to do something else and go be really intense about that for a bit, and then come back. And so that's almost sort of the life. I've created. I think now at this point where it's like, I can bring the level of intensity that you need, you know, to do a full like seven days on hospitalist week where you're, I'm thinking about patient care, like so many hours of the day, <laughs> you know, like, I, and that's, that's always been a thing for me. It's hard for me to shut that off. As long as I have patients that like I'm their doctor, I, I think about them 24 hours. I wake up thinking. <laughs> which isn't you know necessarily like it's not probably sustainable long term but I feel like I'm able to bring a little bit more intensity to my work week knowing that I have a week you know the following week is my horse time and I can I you know like I said use a different part of my brain it's a weird kind of balance but it does bring a sort of balance to my life and so I, I think it's it's helps me as a physician because it's hard to, for me, it's hard to do all the things you talk about being well-rounded, like to exercise and all that stuff sometimes on my work week. And so it's nice to have another week that I'm like, that's, that's when I do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like a reset. Yes. It's almost like a reset or a cleanse. Yeah. Right? Like that week that you have. Yeah. Do you share this with your patients? Do your patients, and I know David knows, <laughs> but do your patients and colleagues know about this? My colleagues do. The patients, like if they, um, if they bring up something or if I notice pretty much any animal, <laughs> you know, horses, cats, dogs, anything, I'm, I need to talk about that. I mean, my colleagues do because I have all the, I have a, an inflatable horse next to my desk that's named Tommy. <laughs> Still, so it's the oh, first thing you that. see when you walk in. The horse is like three, four feet tall. Oh, it's like real. <laughs> that was a gift uh, for one of my colleagues after we won our reserve world championship i came back and there was tommy <laughs> in the office where is tommy um so another junior exhibitor a 14 year old girl ended up buying him from me a little bit after the world championship so he uh but he's showing with her and they're doing great she sends me pictures and we'll message back and forth i just actually saw tommy last week the barn that he's at is up in new hampshire but they came down for our show in north carolina so I went and got to hug Tommy and the girl that owns it is named Claudia. And so we hung out and it, it brings me a lot of joy to see them be so successful and to see her be so happy. And is there anything else that you wanted to say or share with us or the audience? You know, you give and you get so much from your jobs in medicine, but I think it's important to remember those other passions and to give them equal time and <laughs> when you can, when you have the chance. I agree. We've been talking with Ann Isaacson, a hospitalist here in downtown Minneapolis, a doctor like, like us, and she has an amazing plus with her side gig, riding and showing horses. And Ann, it's been great talking to you. Um, our, our point here is to highlight the cool things people do. And can I say, 
That's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, I love it. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, this is fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dr. Plus. Dr. Plus is sponsored by generous funding from the American College of Physicians and is produced by Julie Sensuo. 